All right. Good morning, church. Hey, my name is Tyler Wilson. I'm the home groups pastor here, and uh, Todd Tyson, our lead pastor, is in Memphis this weekend. He's speaking at a retreat. He's been speaking Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so you can remember him as he's uh, coming back. Um, but we will be in Ephesians. We're still going to trek through Ephesians, um, so you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2.10. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, yes, just one verse. Uh, I think last time I preached, perhaps I went too long. So Todd said, you're only getting one verse. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but we will be in Ephesians 2.10 today. And so um, as you're turning there, there is a, uh, there's a definite truth that is just true for all of life that identity precedes activity. Identity precedes activity. Um, what this means is what you do does not determine who you are. Rather, who you are determines what you do. And, and this is true for everything, uh, and it's certainly true biblically, but you know, as I counsel a lot of people who come, uh, maybe they're struggling with sin, maybe they're walking through certain addiction, at, at the end of the day, at some point, we're going to get onto their identity, who they are in Christ, and a failure to believe that. They're, they're usually tinkering around with their actions and trying to modify behavior, but in reality, where they, where they are missing is, is on their identity, who they are, and understanding who they are in Christ. Um, and so I had, for example, I had a friend six months ago who said, you know, um, he's been sober for two years, and he said, uh, Tyler, I, I am an alcoholic. I was like, what are you talking about? You were an alcoholic. And he's like, no, I am an alcoholic. And so it's, it's that kind of mentality, and, and so I begin to take him to things like Romans 6, and it's like, you were a slave to sin, but in Christ, you're a slave to righteousness. Or 1 Corinthians 6, you were these things, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, so you are no longer that. And, and so the fight for a Christian is often a fight to understand our identity, because identity will birth activity. A tree will yield fruit, right? Well, Paul understands this well, of course, and, and really, if you look at the whole book of Ephesians, that's what's happening, this understanding of gospel declaration before exhortation. Um, I'm going to tell you what is true before I tell you what to do. And so chapters 1, 2, and 3 are, this is what is true uh, about the gospel. You were this, now you're this. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, okay, go walk in it. Go walk in it. And, and we have a microcosm of that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And so the last two weeks we've been going through 1 through 9, and, and we saw in 1 through 3, we were this. This was the picture of, we, of who we were before Christ. We were dead in our transgressions, but in verse 4 through 9, we were made alive, and it's by grace you've been saved. So you were this, but, but now you're this. And so now Paul comes in and, in Ephesians 2, 10 and says, walk in it. And so that's where we're going. So let's read the passage Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the, that word for at the beginning is just doing what I just said. It's linking it to the previous nine verses. This is not a separate thought. Paul is continuing this gospel proclamation he's had in verse 1-9, and, he, and he's linking it to this verse right here. Um, one thing that our English versions don't do well is, in the Greek, the first word in the sentence is his. And in Greek, when you put something first, you're emphasizing it, you're stressing it. So it's as if Paul is saying, for we are his workmanship. Now, what's the significance there? Well, we just talked about in verse 9 that we're not saved as a result of works. 
So this is as if Paul is saying, it's not about your works, rather you are his work. You are his workmanship. His. This is his doing. The, the word poema is, is the word that's used there for workmanship. And this is a beautiful word because on the one hand, it's kind of contrasting, well, it's not about your works, but you're his work, you're his creation. Yet, it's not the same word. It's not like it's a performance or a deed. The word's not saying that you're God's deed, God, you're God's good work, but rather it's a slight variation. And the word poema, think about that. What does that sound like in English? It's a poem. It's literally saying you are God's poetry. You are, that's why the NIV uses the word handiwork. You are God's work of art, literally. It's, it's not about your works, but rather you are his beautiful work. You are his poema. Um, notice also the, the verb are. So we are his workmanship. A lot of us like to think, well, well, we will be his workmanship. You know, once I get this together and once I kind of clean this up and I'm still working on this and man, I'm just, I'm screwing it up over here. And so I, one day when I kind of get things together, then I will be his workmanship. But the word there is are. You are his workmanship right now. It's already been inaugurated. This is, this is big for some of you because you can't understand why God would love you right now. But you are his workmanship if you are created in Christ Jesus. You are right now. It's beautiful. And so, you know, in the scriptures, we see a lot of times when it talks about the, the next word in, in the passage, created, right? When it talks about creation, we always see this connection between creation and the word of God. So think about Genesis 1. When God's creating, how is he creating? Speaking. Let there be light. The word of God speaks. The spirit of God, it says, hovers over the waters and creates. So the word of God speaks. Boom, there, the spirit is moving and creation happens. Well, that's kind of the picture here. Or you are God's poetry. God is speaking out words and therefore you are being created in Christ Jesus. He's making you a new creation. You were this, you are this, but now as God speaks out the poetry that is you, which, by the way, who is the word of God? It's Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us the word of God is you. So God the Father speaking out in Christ, he is speaking words, and it's forming a new creation in you. You are his poetry, the word of God, the creation of God. For some of you, you love that because you're very artistic and you're tracking with that connection right there. And then there's a lot of you who are like me who, who are linear thinkers. Don't worry, I've got a diagram coming later. So we'll get there. We are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. That creation is talking about a change of substance. This isn't just a tinkering, a, we're not tweaking something. You are something altogether different. That's really what, what Paul is communicating here. This is like caterpillar to butterfly stuff happening. This is totally different. This isn't Clark Kent putting on a cape and becoming Superman. This is like the Hulk. We're something very different, right? That's the idea that Paul is getting at. You were this, but now you are, have been created in Christ Jesus. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 kind of gets at this uh, concept too when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. A new creation, um, it, it, this is something 
like I said, all together different. And notice how it's done. The word in Christ is in that 2 Corinthians passage too. In Christ. It's in both of those passages. And Todd talked about this the first week we're in Ephesians. In Christ. All those blessings in chapter 1 were available to those who are in Christ. We saw it in verse 3. We saw it in verse 7. We saw it in verse 11. We saw it in chapter 2, verses 7. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Paul's beating this drum so that if you are united with Christ in faith, you belong to him, then all these things are true about you. The moment that you trust Jesus and become in him, you are a new creation. Okay, so you were this, but now you're this. Something very different, altogether change of substance. Now this next phrase we're gonna, we've got to spend some time on because Paul goes and says, for good works. Well, this makes sense because we talked about you were this, now you're this, walk in it, right? That's exactly what he's saying. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now why does Paul put this in there? A part of it is at the time there's really this kind of um, thought that because God had saved you, uh, and there was grace and forgiveness, you could do whatever you kind of wanted then. Is this was called antinomianism, anti-namas, against the law. Who needs the law? There's grace. So I can do whatever I want. Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. I'm forgiven. I got my get out of hell card, right? Um, and some of us obviously still tend to operate in that. Me and God are cool, so the rest of life doesn't really, it doesn't really matter that much. He's going to forgive me. So this, this is almost like Paul is saying, hey, I know we just talked about grace for nine verses, but lest you forget that grace produces holiness, oh, by the way, you're created for good works. So faith will inevitably obey. You are a new creation, therefore you will act differently. You weren't, you're not this anymore. Um, one example you know, of this is like, did you ever hear your, your mom or dad tell you, you know, growing up, um, and you're a Wilson, you know? You're a Wilson. We don't do that. You're, you're a Wilson. Like you did something wrong, and they came back and they said, you're a Wilson. What does that mean? Well, that just means like you're in our family, and so because this is who you are, we don't do this. Like we act differently than that. And that's exactly the, the concept of identity preceding activity. Uh, Paul's saying, hey, now you're a new creation. So, so we, don't, we don't do that. You're created for these things, good works. You've got to live differently now. Uh, but we need to spend some time, though, um, on, on that word for, because you, know, you might be saying, hey, why are we talking about good works when just last week Todd hammered home that we're not saved as a result of works? Well, that's exactly right, and that's what verse 9 says. We're not saved as a result of works. However, we're saved for works. We're not saved as a result of works. However, works are a result of being saved. Does that make sense? It's all about getting the cart before the horse. We've got to get the order right here. The works are a necessary evidence that are the byproduct, that are the fruit, they're a consequence of salvation. And so, um, kind of to illustrate this, maybe uh, we're going to throw a diagram up, but, but even before that, I remember um, in seventh grade, I had this thought one week um, that I was going to become a skater. I'm going to become a skater. Now, if you, if you knew me as a kid and you know me now, you would know that's a ridiculous decision. Uh, number one, I'm not cool. Skaters are cool. I'm not cool. Number two, I play golf. I don't know if you know, that's very different, right? Golfers don't skate on the side. 
Um, but hey, this is what I was going to do. And so I got my uh, shoes. I got my Airwalk shoes. I got my big, huge, baggy Jinko jeans that you could like shove a beach ball in. They were so big. I, uh, I got elbow pads. I had my helmet. Uh, man, I was going to do this thing. Um, I didn't have the chain. I wasn't that cool. But I had a lot of the other stuff. And I even began to start like talk. Like I, had, I listened to the, the, the music too, like the skater music. Of course, it was Christian skater music. But, you know. And then I had, uh, I even started to talk like a skater too, you know. So I was throwing in cool words, you know. Oh, yeah, that's sick. That's sick. <laughs> Say stuff like that. And I think I, I think I fit in. I think they bought it. And so one guy, one friend was like, hey, well, you want to come to the skate park with, with us? I was like, oh, no. So I went, and, you know, as I pull up with my, not kidding you, Ninja Turtle skateboard from kindergarten, it's really big, really long, and I jump into this half pipe, it's quickly revealed that I am not a skater, right? That's not who I am. Uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do when we get these mixed up. You don't, you don't become a skater by wearing skating clothes, even though to everyone else you may look like it. You've, you first learn how to skate, right? That's kind of important to come first before just putting the clothes on. Um, I, I got those backwards, and that's exactly what Paul puts this uh, very important preposition for in here, for. For good works. This is very key. The tree, then its fruit. We can't confuse those, and so... Let's check this out. When we look at what does it mean to be saved, um, we've just looked at, and all these verses are going to come from Ephesians 1 and 2, what we've already preached on. So let's talk a little bit about what this means. We are saved by grace through faith. We've already covered that in Ephesians 2, 8. By grace through faith. This is very key. Listen to those prepositions. By, through. We are saved in Christ. So by grace through faith in Christ. This is the how of salvation. This is how we are saved. This is very important. We can't add to this. We can't take away from this. These things are essential. Now then, what is the what of salvation? So, are we saved from? Are we saved from uh, an avalanche? Are we saved from a disease? Like, what are we? No, we're, we're saved from sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. There we were, dead in our sins and transgressions. We're saved from the, the penalty of sin. We're saved from the, the power of sin. We're saved from the presence of sin. We're saved from sin. We're rescued out of that allegiance to the flesh and the world and the enemy that, that Ephesians 1 through 3, 2, 1 through 3 talks about. But if you're saved from something, you have to be saved to something. And, and we often forget this when we talk about the gospel and salvation. We're saved to God. This is key. He is the reward, right? He is the goal. When we get to heaven, we get him. That's why in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, we're made alive with Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies with him. We're not, we're not saved so that we get an easy marriage. We're not saved so that we get a Bentley. That's not what this is about. We're saved because we get him. But we're not only saved from something to something, we're also saved into something. We're saved into the church. This personal thing quickly becomes a corporate thing and we're collectively brought into a larger body. You are saved into the church. And then we're saved finally for good works, which we see right here. Man, these prepositions are very key. We've got to hone in on them to understand this. And so lastly, that, that's the how and the what, but what's the why? What's the, what, what are we after here with the end result? Well, the end result, of course, is we're saved unto his glory. 
That's Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace. And, and 2 and 7, that we might know the immeasurable kindness of his riches in Christ Jesus, ultimately so that we're going to delight in him and praise him. Now then, what's driving the salvation? What's the motivation behind this? What, is, what initiates God to bring about this redemptive plan? Well, his motivation is his love. Ephesians 2.4, right? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Ah, okay. Because he saw us in our helpless state and he was moved. He was stirred out of love to not leave us there. And so this is a picture of salvation. It's very key that we understand all these little nuances in these words. Because what we like to do is we like to, to move these good works and throw it up into the how section, right? And we mix the for and the by, now, we, we, of course, we know there's grace, but we, we like to slip a little bit in there, and that's exactly what Todd talked about last week. Well, this is critical that we understand that it's not by. Now, some of you guys get it. You're like, yeah, no, I know. If it was by, I'd, I'd be hopeless. I'm a failure. I screw up all the time. You get it. But some of us, some of you who are like me, tend to think, oh, no, I'd be all right. I, I think I could measure up, you know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good guy. Well, we don't get it. We don't get Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that we are dead in our training, that we are really that messed up. We don't understand how wicked our heart is. And if we understood that, we'd be praising the Lord right now that this is for and not by, because by is Islam, and by good works is Mormonism, and by good works is most of Catholicism, and by good works is paganism and offering sacrifices and trying to appease a god. That is what by works is. But praise God, man, because Paul puts four good works. Thank you, Lord. It is for and not by. This is critical. It's the difference between heaven and hell, life and death. This is a massive word. Thank you, Jesus. It is for works and not by works. But I think we also have to define what good works are. I don't know about you, I just think that's one of those nebulous words we throw around a lot. And it really wasn't until I started weeks ago thinking about this that I really went, you know what, I don't even know what good works really are, maybe. Maybe I just need to investigate that a little more. So I began to ask a lot of people around me, you know, hey, I'm preaching in a few weeks, like, tell me what you think good works are. What do you think of when you think of good works? And you know, the, co- the common answer is this. The common answer is um, humanitarian, philanthropic, social justice, so helping the poor, um, caring for orphans and widows, uh, giving something to someone, being nice, paying it forward, right? This is what we think of when we think of good works. This just, uh, they're a very nice person. They do a lot of good things. And, and I think what the, the scriptures want to help us see is that it goes far deeper than that. Um, and so let's look at James 2. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to read it for us. But if we look at James 2, 14 through 17, I think we're going to see that it's a little more at the heart level. And so James is talking about works and he's just going to expound this a little bit. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, okay, there you go, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, classic example. That's one of the things I just listed. Helping the poor, clothing someone in need. All right, very good. But he goes on to give two more examples of good works that are a little more peculiar. Verse 21, 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What? That's a good work? Well, that's, I didn't see that one coming. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed. There you go, faith completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25. And in the same way, here's the second example. Same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? A.K.I.A. she hid spies and lied about it? Well, that's a good work. Okay, something's happening here. Something's going on that's a little deeper than I expected. And so we need, to, we need to really get behind there and define. So here's how I'm going to define good works for us, and then we'll kind of unpack that. Good works are, a good work is an act of obedience to God that proceeds from faith. An act of obedience to God that proceeds from faith. Okay, so let's break that down. Act of obedience to God. Um, yes, it is an act of obedience to God. And so... Let me just give you, where do we find the things that God commands? How do we know what God's commands so that we can obey him? Well, of course, he's already listed them in his word. And so I just want to read to you some of the things that the, the word of God is commanding us as believers to do. These are some of the things that we are to be obedient to. Now, some of them are going to be, like I already mentioned, some of these more typical things we think of good works. But listen to the ones that maybe you didn't think about when you thought about good works. Forgive, fast, endure hardship, Pray constantly. Give sacrificially. Don't love money. Nourish and cherish your wife. Use leadership to serve. Guard your speech to make it edifying. Step in for the widow and the orphan. Reconcile relationships. Put sin to death. Labor at your job faithfully. Run from gossip. Confront out of loving concern. Be generous with your possessions. Flee sexual immorality and pursue purity. Instruct your children biblically. Worship and praise the Lord. Have compassion on those who are weak. Open your home. Don't covet. Leverage opportunities for the gospel. Wait on the Lord. Fight against injustices. Suffer persecution. Set your mind on eternal things. Clothe the poor. Edify the church. Forsake your heart idols. Don't show favoritism. Relinquish your right to vengeance. Do good to those who hurt you. Honor your parents. Rejoice with those who are celebrating, encourage the weary, walk in humility, and of course, devote yourself to the word because how else are you going to know what those commands are? So the Lord has already given us the things we need to be obedient to. Now, some of you may say, well, there's certain things that aren't in the scripture. Well, okay, I'll give you that, right? I'm pretty sure when Abraham thought about putting his son, Isaac, on the altar, he, he didn't find that anywhere in the Bible, right? I don't think Rahab was finding that in the Bible. When my wife and I moved to Oklahoma two months ago and we left our, a lot of our family, we left our community and our friends and the church that we love, I didn't find a passage in Scripture that told me, yeah, move to Oklahoma. Right? I mean, if you're wondering whether you should take your, your mother into your guys' house and to be able to care for her better, that's a big decision. That answer is not in the Bible. If you're wondering whether to date this person or not, that answer is not in the Bible. There are things that are right? Not going to be just laid out like yes or no. And so in those things, we need to be listening to God, and God is going to call you to be obedient to something. And so yes, there are the clear commands of Scripture, and there are other times where God is going to command you to do things directly. You need to be obedient to that. It's never going to contradict Scripture, of course, 
but it's not necessarily something that's outlined in Scripture. And in both of those things, we're to be obedient to God. To go, yes, my yes is on the table. Okay, well, here's the second thing, though, that's really critical, and this is where I want to spend some, some time on. That proceeds from faith. That's the key phrase. An act of obedience to God that proceeds from faith. It's done out of a heart of trust. You see, if, if you understand what Abraham was doing in that moment when he laid Isaac up there, what he was doing was demonstrating his ultimate trust in the promise of God. God had already promised in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 that he was going to make a great nation out of Abraham. And he was going to do it through his son, uh, Isaac, the bloodline, the offspring of Sarah, his wife. Now, he was 100 years old. So, I mean, this was a big moment just for you and Isaac to be born. And yet to, to then go, okay, God has promised all these things. He's made it abundantly clear that it's through Isaac. And now he's telling me to, to, to put Isaac on the altar and lay him down and, and kill him. He knows that if Isaac is dead, then these promises are not going to happen. But, but what does he do? He goes, okay, God said this and God said this, and they seem to contradict, but I'm going to obey and trust that he's going to fulfill his promises. He's faithful. Hebrews says that it's as if Abraham knew that God would, would raise him for the, from the dead. He was able to raise him from the dead. He knew whatever God would have to do, he'd do it to fulfill his promises. See, that is the demonstration of faith. It was an act of obedience that that absolutely revealed that his heart trusted God. Abraham, or Rahab the same. She knew that the God of the Hebrews was the real one true God, and so she did this thing in order to demonstrate her trust in the Lord. It, it all comes down to where is our heart. And so in the, the, the contrast to that um, means that we can do things out of mistrust, right? And in fact, if, if it takes faith to be obedient to God, if it takes faith to do good works, then that means that a, that a non-believer, someone who hasn't trusted Christ, cannot do good works. Right? They, now, they may look good. You may be wearing the skater clothes, right? It, it, it looks like a good work, but if it's not done out of a heart that is trusting God, then it's not a good work. It may be done out of something different. And, and even us as believers will have kind of competing allegiances for this. We, we are so prone to mistrust. And so we can be doing good things, but do it out of fear. We can do it out of self-preservation, trying to protect ourselves. We can do it out of self-dependence. Oh, I got this. I'm cool. We can be doing it out of uh, obligation instead of joyfully. Uh, we can be doing it for our own motives and promotion. We want to promote ourselves. We want the approval, and we want the the, the financial backing that this is going to bring, rather than trusting God for those things that were already accepted and approved in Him. See, all those things, it's a matter of, are you, are you trusting the Lord? So what I'm saying is, yes, you can go on a mission trip and it not be a good work. You can clothe the poor and feed the hungry and it not be a good work. I can preach this sermon and it not be a good work if I get up here in my pride and think I got this. Or if I walk in anxiety and fear. The Lord is in control, and we have to understand that good works involve trusting Him. This is what Romans 14.23 says, Hebrews 11.6. I love these two verses. 14.23 in Romans says uh, that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Wow. That's exactly what I just said. So that means I can visit someone in the hospital and it not necessarily be a good work? That's what I'm saying. Right? Jesus is always about the heart level. You guys know this. It's never about checking a box to Him. Is your heart trusting him? Hebrews 11:6. 6, that apart from faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You simply can't do it if you're not trusting him. 
He doesn't care about your empty external sacrifices. You can give all the money in the world to the church you want. It doesn't matter if your heart's not trusting the Lord. One analogy for this, um, this reality within a reality, because on the external, everything looks like good works, but there's something deeper that's actually truly revealing what it is. And one analogy is like dancing. And you know, if, you think about it, if you think about dancing, you think about, man, you don't have to be a good dancer necessarily to dance. You, could, you can hear the instructor, okay, I'm listening. You can watch other people dance. You can go, okay, I know, I know the positions, I know the motions that I need to get in. Get in those positions, you know, observe yourself in the mirror, making sure you're, you're good. But, it, I mean, in the end, it's just kind of mechanical. It's kind of robotic. It's, it's rigid. It's not. True dance is, is movement, is flow. You know? You may, yeah, you may, you may turn your foot here, but if you knew that if you, if you turn from your hip, then you can really turn your foot out. Yes, my wife is a ballet dancer. Don't make fun of me for that. Okay, that's the only reason I know that. There are movements behind the movements that are happening. And if you're not dancing, you don't know that. You're not being led by that. You're simply critiquing. You're, you're analyzing your performance in the mirror. You're analyzing against others, and you're going through the motions. Now, the audience, it may look like you're dancing, but you're not. There's a deeper reality that defines dancing. And that's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly why Paul is proclaiming the sufficiency of God in this. Do you understand? If you're going to walk in good works, you have to trust him. Because if you're going to fast, it's got to be because he's your portion. And if you're going to forgive, it's got to be because you believe that he's forgiven you. And if you give to others, it's got to be because you trust that he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide, right? If you love your spouse in this kind of steadfast way, it's got to be because you know that God loves you that way, and you believe he's going to take care of you and give you the strength to do it. If you, if you forsake idols, it's got to be because you believe that he's better. Who cares if you do it just for the sake of doing it? It's your heart trusting God in it. This section, I'll just wrap up by, by saying this sentence. When you obey the commands of Scripture because you trust the God of those commands, then you're walking in good works. Let me say that again. When you obey the commands of Scripture because you trust the God of those commands, then you're walking in good works. That's what it means to walk in good works. So the last phrase in Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand, just clearly saying, hey, the Lord has planned these things for you. Just like Ephesians 1.4. Man, this is set up before you even... You, not only has he, has he destined uh, for you to be his and, and saved you, but he's also, he's going to bring that to fully to glory. Like Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose us, right? But he says he chose us to be holy and blameless so that we would actually work that out in being a new creation and actually model what a new creation looked like. Not just to save us, but to bring us fully to glory. You have a unique design also. And I think that's what this is saying too. You're his poetry, right? There's specific things that God has wired you to do your personality, your background, your makeup, the things you're, you're good at, your gifting. God has specific things that he's prepared beforehand for you to do. He has you things for you to do. But also it's just kind of a way of life too. It's not an event mentality that he's prepared these things beforehand, but it's really, man, as you go throughout your day, it's just doing them differently. It's doing them out of, out of trust. It's obeying the Lord out of trust. And so these are, this affects the every little day things and that we should walk in them is the last phrase, that we should walk in them. I love this because that's exactly how he started the sentence out in chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. 
that we were dead in our sins and transgressions in which we once walked. Same word. But now, we used to walk this way. Now we walk this way. And so it's come full circle, man. We're different. New creations look different. We walk in something different. It's beautiful. Well, as we just kind of begin to digest what we need to do in response to this, I want to ask Nate to come up and play. And, and really, here's, here's kind of what you need to be thinking about. As we understand Paul's message here, you were this, you are this, walk in it. Here's what good works are. The first question you ask yourself is, man, are good works a part of my life? Are good works in my life, right? Are acts of obedience to God that are coming from faith actually present in my life? And if they're not, then what we need to do is we need to back up. We really need to go back to verses 1 through 9. We need to understand that it's, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? We can't start with the works. We've really got to go, well, man, there's not a heart that trusts God. This isn't proceeding from faith. I need to go back and actually trust God. Here, here's what you don't want to do. The most dangerous thing in the world you could do is start fruit stapling. You know, you know what I mean by that? Is stapling the fruit on the tree. This is an apple tree, but I want it to be an orange tree, so I'm going to staple some oranges on it. That's not how you make an orange tree. You have to change the tree, then the fruit will change. Modifying your behavior, tinkering your action is the most dangerous thing you can do because then you will think you'll act, you're actually an orange tree. But you know what? You're not. And everyone else can't tell the difference from a distance. I just see oranges in the tree. Must be an orange tree. But it's not. And, and why are you lying to yourself? But man, the Lord knows. Just, just back up to verses 1 through 9. It starts there. And, let's start, and that is the gospel right there. And so we, we need to start with the by grace through faith in Christ. Let's go back to that place, right? But maybe, maybe there aren't good works in your life and they're not present simply because you've bought into this whole antinomian thing, right? You, you think, well, man, I, I'm covered in grace. I've been forgiven. I got it. Like, I got my, my heaven card. I'm, I'm good. Me and God are cool. When you do that, then you belittle the cross of Christ. You say, it, doesn't, it didn't really cost that much. Grace is free. It is free, but you know what? It's not cheap. It costs something very precious and very dear. And so grace produces holiness. You're a new creation. You're failing to live who you actually are when you do that. You're not embodying who you actually are. And maybe, maybe you're actually revealing that you're not yet a new creation. And so maybe again, you need to back up. And when you start it, at grace through faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe you got that part. Maybe there are good works in your life, but uh, you're a lot like me sometimes. Maybe you try to confuse the for and the by, right? You try to throw those good works back up into the, the by grace through faith. It's a, it's a part of your salvation. And Todd talked about this last week. We can't do that, man. When we do that, we just the same. We belittle the cross. We confuse the gospel. There's a great equation I love, and it says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You try to add to Jesus and you end up losing it all. You try to say, Jesus, I don't think the cross is enough. I've got to bring my trinkets to the Lord. I've got to do, make sure I do these things so that I can make sure I'm good. Then all you've done is deny the power of the cross and the sufficiency of Jesus 
You said, you're not good enough, I need more. And when you do that, you, you lose the gospel altogether. Because now you've injected your works into it. Man, it's not by works, it's for works. We've got to get that straight. And maybe, maybe you got that straight. Maybe you're like, I get it, Tyler. It's not, it's, not, it's not what I've done. But you're missing the faith component. You're continuing to walk in these good works, but they're not actually good works because they're not done out of a heart that trusts God. You're trying to do your sanctification on your own. So this is like the person who's like, man, thank you, God. You got my plane up in the air. I'll take over from, from here. I'll slip into the pilot seat. You can go co-pilot now. I, I, I got it now that we're in the air. Thank you for saving me, but I'll go ahead and, and, uh, and land this plane from here on. And that's, that's foolish. That's exactly what ha- is happening in Galatians 3, verse 3, when, when Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Man, it was the Lord who saved you. You began by the Spirit. It was grace through faith, and He did it. But now that that's happened, you've come over here, and you've started to try to do everything else yourself now. You've forgotten that you need the Spirit to save you, but you need the Spirit to sanctify you too. You can't start depending on yourself anymore. We need the gospel for both. You guys, church, this is exactly why the gospel is for believers and non-believers because we're so prone to wonder and forget. We're so prone to leave grace by faith in Christ. We're so prone to leave it. And so we need to be reminded, having begun by the Spirit, oh yeah, we're perfected by the Spirit too. We need faith. We need dependence on Him to continue to do this. It's like my one-year-old. I'm constantly showing her things to do. And then, as soon as I show her how to do it right, then she tries to do it herself the next time, right? I want to do it now. I want to do it now. And we think that's cute. That's not cute when she tries to get on the monkey bars herself, right? You're one. You can't do the monkey bars. You need dad's help. We need dad's help. We can't do this on our own. And so, stop walking in your own power and your own trust. Those aren't good works. I think the last thing that we need to, to understand is that just the simple command of this, this verse. Walk in it. Walk in them. You were this. Now you're this, so walk in it. Obviously, the critical condition by grace through faith as a new creation, yes, but walk in it, church. He has things He's planned for you. He's designed you to demonstrate His goodness, to demonstrate His sufficiency. So walk in I, I want to leave you with this. I'm going to exhort you, church, with some things. And I just want to read this list of you. These are the things that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. You're still here. You're still alive. That means God still has purpose for you. He still has good works for you yet to do. And so, church, from here, there are possessions to be sold. There are marriages to be fought for. There's singleness to be maximized. There's relationships to reconcile. There's young generations to be poured into. There's trafficked women and children to be rescued. There's money to be released. There's forgiveness to be extended. There's strangers to be welcomed. There's elderly to be cared for. There's disciplines to be walked in. There's needy to be clothed and fed. There's spouses to be served. There's widows to be provided for. There's abortions to be prevented. There's prayers to be interceded. There's counsel to be given. There's lonely people to be fellowshiped with. 
There's work to be faithfully accomplished. There's songs, songs to be written and sung. There's hardships to be endured. There's promises to kept. There's parents to honor and obey. There's offenses to be withstood. There's orphans to be adopted. There's good news to be proclaimed. Go! And when you mess up and you, where you don't go, then there's, there's repentance to be sought. There's a Christ to be found. There's grace to be received. But go! This is what he's called us to. Go! Go! Let's walk in it. Father, we, we need you. We thank you that you have purchased us and that you've made us a new creation. We thank you, God. Help us because we're so slow of heart sometimes to remember that we're different. We're new. I find myself all the time saying, Father, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know that you're good, but I still run to these things, and so I want to forsake them and walk in these good works out of trust in you. God, lead our church. You've got good works that you've planned for us as a body of Christ to move forward into our community, to display the gospel, to demonstrate your goodness. So may we walk in them. May we shine like stars in the universe. May we reflect your goodness, God. Thank you that it's for and not by. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So church, I, there's going to be men and women up here. Our prayer team is going to be up here. And I just encourage you, and whatever you need, whether you're responding to this word, maybe there's something the Lord's been pressing you to do and be obedient in, but you haven't been. You've been delaying that obedience. Maybe you just need to tell someone, God's been pressing this on me. I need to be obedient. Come, come, tell someone. Tell someone next to you. Maybe you need to back up to verses 1 through 9 and start with grace through faith in Christ. And do that. And we have people up here praying. Maybe you just need healing. Maybe it has nothing to do with the sermon at all. But you walked in with a lot today and you need to unload those burdens. Come, pray. This is what this is for. There's freedom in this place. Let's respond and let's go and let's walk in the good works he's prepared.